so what we're going to do is transition to the seminars and this one's going to be quite practical because there's no shortage of sermons and books and blogs you have read over the years or heard over the years stressing the importance of Bible reading. Um, the problem is not that we don't know that we should read our Bibles, but a lot of us struggle or a lot of people you lead struggle with reading the Bible, where the Bible is a joy, a life source, best friend. And our hope is to, to give you tools and remind you of things that you may already know to help that direction. <clears throat> so, so how do you read the word faithfully and dynamically? And, and essentially, how, are you, how do you abide? I'm going to, uh, if you see these little sheets, we're going to go over these questions. Um, and, and I'm going to just break down. We're going to practice going through Leviticus 23, 22. So if you want to open your Bibles to Leviticus 23, 22. So this is five questions for the, the best Bible study ever. Okay, that's how I title it. All right? Or in here I said five questions to encounter with God in the Bible. These have gone through many iterations. A lot of you guys have seen these questions. Um, but I, I would just say, after doing these questions or some version of these questions for um, several years now, I have never, and I mean that in an emphatic, absolute statement, without fail, I have never actually done these questions with an open heart and open Bible and not had a meaningful time with Jesus. Never. And I've never done this with other believers when we had an open heart, open Bibles, and it was not meaningful. Literally, every single time I do these questions, God shows up. Every single time. And, and I think you'll see why. And so, all these questions um, are important, but some of them are going to be more longer and more relevant based off the passage. And, um, but we're going to just practice it and go through it. I know a lot of you guys have already done this, but this is uh, by way of reminder for many of us. But it's a good reminder. And this is stuff I, I do with my DNA, when I meet with my DNA, uh, this is stuff, when, if I want to meet with someone, they want to say, hey, how do you read the Bible? This is it. And I, and I would just say, I was meeting with a pastor last night who's planted eight churches. And he, he kind of went a little overboard. He's like, I don't read any other Christian books, really. Not much. Um, just read the Bible. And I teach all my churches to just read the Bible. And, and, and here, here's the deal. Um, there is no shortage of good articles and books out there um, desiring God. Right? I, I learned from Scott, from his blogs, and there's no shortage. But I think there's, because the proliferation of good Christian um, information out there, one of the negatives that often happens, doesn't have to, it's not necessary, but often happens, is a neglect of the source. And we want to be first-handers, not second-handers only. Not just hearing from Moses as he comes down, but we want to go up to the mountain too. And these questions will do it. It's a simple framework that will take a little time, but you can do this as, as little as 15, 10 minutes, or you can spend three hours with these questions. Um, the more you do these questions, the more intuitive, the more in, the, in them, where you're not consciously always asking these questions, but that's just in your DNA, in your instincts as you read the word. So let's look at Leviticus 23, 22. I know all of you have memorized this passage tattooed it even on your fridge. It's a famous passage. Everyone loves it. But I picked this passage because it is obscure. Some of you have studied it. Most of you have ignored it. And you would look at this and say, how in the world would you have a powerful Bible study meeting God with this 
such obscure passage. How could you even do it with Leviticus? You should be thrown out, right? No. Leviticus 23, 22. Okay. All right. Charlotte, could you read that out loud, sister? Yep. Just the one verse. Yep. Just the one verse. So the first question is the most boring question, but necessary. Because a lot of times when Bible studies, Bible studies tend to be on two spectrums. You got ones that are heavily oriented on a historical grammatical method, where it's very big on like understanding and interpreting rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth. So that's one extreme spectrum where it's only focused on that. And the other spectrum is kind of the one I grew up of, what sticks out to you? What do you, what'd you get out of it? What did God tell you today through this word? It's very focused on dynamism, encountering God, relevance. How are you going to apply this to your life? How are you going to, what does this make you feel? Like it's on that spectrum. And I think a good Bible study uh, framework will meld both of them together. And in fact, to to do justice to the scripture, you actually have to have both together. You actually have to be historically, grammatically accurate and faithful to the text if you're truly going to delight and grow deeper and enjoy God and apply it to your life. And if you don't apply it and enjoy it, you actually miss the purpose of the text, right? What does Jesus say to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, right? You study the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but you fail to what? Come to me. The point is come to him. But if you don't actually know the background, the context, and you're not faithful with the text, then you actually can't come to him. You, you go to him rightly. You're, you're going to go to a, a made-up Jesus, right? We, so we need accuracy, but we also need intimacy. And you can't devoid those. And all of us here are probably going to be, because of our background and personalities, are going to gravitate towards one in the neglect of the other when time is short. And, and I want to say we need both. Scripture leads us to worship. And if it's not leading you to worship, something's missing, right? And joy and delight and application, all this kind of stuff. Then we're, then we're truly becoming like the Pharisees. So first question that you always have to ask yourself, it's in the notes, what's going on? Just like if you're to walk into a middle of a conversation. So here's a simple way I like to teach people how to think about context. This is, this is how I do it. If you walk in the middle of a conversation, you would quickly assess who's speaking. What are they talking about? Who are they talking to? What's the feeling of the conversation? Is it angry? Is it happy? Is it laughing? Right? It, you would ask yourself intuitively these questions unless you have a social, you're socially inept. You would ask you, what are you guys talking about? Who have you been talking up to? And the same thing we do with the word. Whenever you walk into any verse, you're walking into a conversation. Who's speaking? Who are they speaking to? Are, are they angry? Are they commanding them? Are they rejoicing? Are they grieved? These are simple, socially intelligent questions we ask ourselves to navigate daily life, but we often fail to do it with the Word. So, first question, what's going on? So that's why I always say this from the pulpit, never read a verse. Always read around. What's going on? So, what's going on here? We'll do a quick kind of Bible study. What's going on? What's the context? Just quickly. Don't be afraid of trying to look like you're proud or smart. Just, just share. What's going on in Leviticus 22, 23, I mean? Great. Great. Through Moses. Great. He's speaking. Is he happy, angry? What's going on? Just neutral? <laughs> right? He's giving them instruction for peace. 
Yep. Great. Great. What, what's the ultimate hope with this instruction as they're going into this new land? To walk faithfully before him and be a witness to the nations. Right. What he's like. Right. And, and then if we want to do a little extra work, this is in the Old Covenant to Jewish people, um, but relevant to us by way through the cross <laughs> in the New Covenant. Right, and that, that's a little bit more tricky of a place to go to, but that's important, right? We're not reading a passage that was directly written to us right now, but, but available for us, informing us, teaching us, but not a direct command to us. But we could apply this to us, and we'll, we'll get there. Okay, so the, the, the second question to me is the most important question. If we can do this, if you can do this, your DNA, your MC, or anybody, or yourself, especially yourself, every day, the first question you should ask is not, what does this, what do I get out of this? Or what sticks out to me? But who are you, God? Who are you, God? In this passage, what does this passage tell me about the character, the heart of God? What is he like? We have to start with God. We, we are prone by our fleshly nature and the, the spirit of the age is to start with us. We make this about us. And yes, it is about us in many ways. It will teach us about us. It will help us, all this stuff. But we must start, first of all, is who is, who are you? Show me your glory. Who's God? Who is God? What has he done? What will he do? So, sometimes a passage we study won't directly address God. I don't see anything here about God except the last line, I am Yahweh your God. Right? And so how do you take a passage like this and then take steps back, reverse engineer, almost say, say, what is this teaching me about God? What does this passage teach us about God? He cares for the needy. Great. What's that? He speaks to his people. Yes. Yeah. He's a God who speaks. He cares about little details of our life. Yep. The little things we do. That's right. Yeah, I mean, part of the context we didn't even talk about. That's, that's my fault. But the context is like, what is, what is, what is being said right here? What's, what's, going, what's, what's the essential command? Put it in layman's turn, someone. Don't harvest all your food. Why? So poor people can eat it. Right. So leave some left over. Don't, don't be stingy and get every little ounce. No, leave, leave the extras for the poor who don't have land, don't have the provision like you do. Okay, so what does that teach us about God? Like you said, Katie said, he, he cares for the poor. He cares for those that nobody else cares about. Those that overlook, who are overlooked, right? That, those that we could easily say, well, they need to figure out a way to work hard like I did. I earned this. These lazy, poor people. No, no, like God cares about those people. And so, so that tells us something about God. Yeah, Pete? Mm-hmm. He's talking non-Israelites. Oh. So, yeah. So, so tell us, what does that tell us about God? Um, God is for all the people. God is not just exclusively yeah. for Israelites. He That's wants right. To reach all peoples. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All people. That's so good. A great principle is that if God commands something, it's a reflection of His heart. One of the great uses of the law is, is as, a, as a direct line to see God's heart and mind about things. What does this tell me about God? Because you command something, it tells you something about what you're about, what you're against, what you hate, what you love. I also think this tells us that God is going to provide for 
people. Mm. Because the temptation is to grab everything. Yeah. But God is specifically saying, don't do that. Woo! Come on. Look at that. I, yeah. God is a provider. Right. Look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Okay. God doesn't just directly just rain manna always, but he provides through means of his people. Oh, no, I should have said that because you could say it. You say it. <laughs> but look at that. We could go longer if we had time. But this passage where if you're reading in your, your you know, Bible yearly plan, it'd be one that most Christians would probably just read over really quickly. Yada, yada, yada. But look at this. Man, God cares about the sojourner. He cares about the poor. He's a provider. He actually doesn't just do things only directly, but he uses human agency to provide for his people. Like, there's just so much here that if we wanted to, we could just sit there and just like, wow, God, who's like you? This is so amazing. But then we got to keep going for the sake of time. But you could just stay here. And sometimes in my Bible study, I'm not going to get to all the questions. I'm going to just stick in one because, because I just want to sit in it. You know, just want to sit there and God, the Holy Spirit's like, just dwell here. <clears throat> And with your group, you may be walking through. Don't feel the pressure to go through all the questions always. You can be like, let's just stay here. God's God doing something here. Let's just sit on here and just behold him. So second question, what does this teach me about man? Finally, me. I get to think about me. No? But what does this teach about man? What does this passage show us about uh, the character of man, both believers or unbelievers? Tendency is to, to hoard, to grab, to yeah. this is mine. And, you know, just there's a greed sort of inherent in us. Mm. Mm. Maybe a tendency not to pay attention to the needy or the widow. Yeah. Mm. Maybe it even reminds us, as it's talking about peace coming, it's even in this uh, peace that's reached. So maybe it's a weekly reminder for them to mm. think about not just themselves. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah. At a simple level, just that he's instructing us in our calls to obey. Yeah. This might be trying too hard, but like Adam and, and even the garden didn't trust God and they reached and took. Mm. And here it's like trust looks like not taking. Mm. Like trust. We, we, we're prone not to trust like Adam and Eve. Mm. But um, he wants us to trust by leaving behind. Mm. Yeah, so we could just be flying through this passage and realize, no, 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 no. And we're like, oh, I don't have land. <laughs> I'm not an Israelite. Yeah, those are, that's true. But do you see how much this reveals the human heart? Wow, I need this. I need this, right? Um, just a slightly different approach because all that, what everyone said is absolutely true. I was thinking, what does this teach about God's people? Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to reflect his nature. Mm. Mm -hmm. Amen. As he provides. Yeah. yeah. Provides. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. God's not afraid of mentioning that it's your land. It's, it belongs to them. Mm. Like it's your field, your harvest. Um, so there's there's nothing wrong with owning, but then there's a uh, response. You you own properly mm. in relation to God being Lord of, mm. your, of your belongings and your life. And all the Republicans said, "Amen." Right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ownership. And, and libertarian. Yes. That's good. That's right. That's right. Now, so good. Let's keep going. Next question. How does the gospel connect to this? This one takes a little bit more work and time to be good at. But the more you practice seeing how every passage 
has a road to the cross. Every passage has a road to the greater story of God's redemptive work, both past, present, and future. The more you practice that, the more you just see it without even thinking. It takes time. And this is going to be one that you'll have to disciple your people and yourself into growing how to do it without being, uh, while still being faithful to the text. You know, we're, we want to be careful not to force Jesus in places, but one way I like to see it is how, how do these passages remind me of what Jesus has done? I don't need to say the author meant that this is actually Jesus. I don't need to do that. I can just say this reminds me, like everything's just reminding me, echoing me towards what God's done. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, no, I kind of agree with what you just said. I think for me... Just kind of? Just a little. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I think in this case, there's an analogy that I learned in college from a pastor where he talked about like we're soaking up God's goodness like a sponge. Mm. But if you never do anything with it, a soaking sponge starts to smell terrible. Mm. It gets really nasty. So the idea is you squeeze that back out. Mm. So I think in this passage, we could look at the gospel as being God has poured this great gift into us. It's not one that we should hoard. Yeah. Like in my own life, when I'm afraid to share the gospel, I liken myself to like an escaped convict. Mm. I'm just going to keep running. Not to interact with anybody. I'm just going to get as far away from wherever I was. When in reality, we are supposed to be sharing this great gift. Amen. Amen. How do how do we see this? And and one quick, uh, anytime we see commands, there there's easy by easy pathway highway towards the cross. How does this connect to the gospel? And Sarah, if Boaz wasn't faithful to this passage, who would we not have? Yeah. <laughs> Amen, huh? Oh, that's good. Oh, so good. Yeah, both, both groups poor and God's people are, are both in a position of receiving. Mm-hmm. It is God who raised forth the harvest. Um, they don't do anything yep. with it except for what God is telling them what yep. to do or what not to do. Yep. Yep. And it's like pure grace. <clears throat> Amen. How do we think about commands through the lens of the cross in general, even though this command is not explicitly to us today? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, who here among us has not been greedy at times or not given when we should have given or hoarded or overlooked the sojourner or the poor? Right? All of us have. Thank God Jesus doesn't do that. And he didn't do that. And to the, to the greatest need, our spiritual need on the cross. Right? Yeah. 
Any other quick thoughts on the, how this connects to the gospel? There's so much there, but the incorporation of the Gentiles into That's right. Mm-hmm. Two minute warning. Yeah. give us his edges he gives us himself everything right and there's no such thing in the new heavens new earth and and god's people sojourners now um and like god's people and sojourners we're we're just god's people right the dividing wall hostility has been removed it's just god's people um not like super god's people and like proselytized kind of god's people it's like we're god's people because the cross equal ground all of us we can go further but do you see how Without doing injustice to the authorial intent of this passage, without being hermeneutically irresponsible or playing eisegesis or I see Jesus everywhere, we are faithfully looking at this passage, but also connecting it to the, the gospel and the new covenant without doing damage. So this reminds us, this is what ultimate it leads to. Yeah. So just because I'm curious about that, everything we've done so far seems very natural to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Mm. Well, I think I think some people, maybe some people, their hermeneutic will go a little further. So let, let me just hermeneutic is just basically your your uh, the, the science of studying the word, right? So like uh, homiletics is the the art and science of preaching. Um, hermeneutics is the art and science of like studying God's word. So what does it actually say? Like, what do these words mean? Yep. Yep. In yeah. Well, yes. Um, and what did it mean to the original context? What did the author, the original author, mean to communicate to the original uh, audience? Okay. And then we have to do the interpretive work of how do we cross the cultural language time barrier and apply it to our own lives and and, and the message. Um, but what what maybe a dangerous hermeneutic would be is kind of what I grew up in the charismatic world is like let's think about Ruth, not Ruth, um, uh, Rahab being uh, rescued and. Um, she puts a red cloth out, a red, you know, scarlet cloth. And, and I, I would hear a preacher say, uh, that is a picture, that, that is Jesus's blood one day protecting uh, all of us from our sins over destruction. Um, and I would say it, can, it, it points to, it reminds us, it, it reminds me. But I think there's a danger when we say this is what the author meant when they did this unless it's explicitly clear that's what it meant. Sure. So I don't think the author, uh, I don't think Moses is saying this thinking about Jesus in the gospel. I think maybe he had some instincts and some trajectories and maybe some shadows of what the Messiah would do, but he's just giving this command. And now because we have the new covenant, we can uh, look back with more of the, the revelation we've been given 
and, and be able to fill in some of the gaps in the, in the, the trajectories. Does that make sense? We can't say, see Moses talking about Jesus. Yeah, 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 that's right. Probably make that yeah, but a lot of people do that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Does that make sense? That is helpful. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's great. Yep. Yep. And knowing that all, everything in Scripture is, 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 uh, is moving towards a trajectory, and then because we have more of the story than they had in Leviticus, we're, we're connecting those dots. All right, last question. Um, <clears throat> we're out of time. How should I respond to this? And I realize it says, how should I respond to this? Um, you saw that? I actually haven't read it yet. Oh, I was going to say, Charlotte has already seen it <clears throat> and changed it on hers. <clears throat> She's good with uh, spell check and grammar. So considering this passage, how should we respond? I say respond instead of do, because response can maybe just be worship. It may not be going out and giving money. It could be. This passage is probably a little bit more like, hey, how are we using our resources as stewards? Right? Our fields are not fields, but our bank accounts, our jobs, our work, our home. Um, so, so, so just taking this passage, how can we respond to this? That's good. People that are closest to the, the people that I would consider myself to be like. Because if so, am I really, you know, allowing there to be, um, yeah, those sojourners eating of the fruits of the gospel in my own life? Excellent. Yeah. Any other? Yeah. You know, this isn't about money, but it's about the, so all of our possessions and through the context of like, how could I share part, yep. of, part of this yep. or use it for others, not only money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have two things. Um, one of like what not to do, like it's not a warrant for like laziness, mm-hmm. but it's actually good that we plant fields and like it's mm-hmm. good that we do that so that we can bless others. And then um, the other thing, like to work hard, I guess. And then um, the other thing is to, um, to be on guard in ourselves that the the harvest and the the plants that grow and stuff it's not like yes the land we know God's heart is ours but it's not from us like the growth mm-hmm. is not from us it's, that's right it's all um, uh, coming from the Lord anyways and He's decided to let us like be a part of that and so yep it's um, good and, and guard against that basically that it's already the Lord's He's the one that's helping it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It says nothing about grateful sojourners, you know, worthy, integrity filled poor people, right? It's just, you know. Yeah. Right. Or if they thank you at all, or if they even notice. And how often do we get frustrated when we do something sacrificial for someone and they don't notice it or they don't fully thank us, you know? 
how dare you? I did this for Jesus, and this is what you do for me? You know, like, you know, we see that. Or our kids, you know, we give our kids a full day of fun and joy, and then they aren't grateful, and you're like, how dare you? You'll never have fun again, right? <clears throat> never said those things, but I feel those things sometimes. Yeah. Here, here's a simple application. You know, one of the things I said this last week in the sermon, but we encourage every member to set aside 2%, just even 2% or more, to look to be generous. And how often do, when we receive a windfall, a money, a gift from grandma or whatever, we think, oh, I can now spend all this, right? Instead of like, oh, like I need to make sure there's some set apart for others. Yes. That mindset needs to be built in us. <clears throat> yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. Elise's example was awesome. Like, I love that you shared that. Yeah. I've never really thought about it as being intentional before. I'm thinking like Boaz, like he's not actually working his field. Mm-hmm. So he has to tell other people not to glean everything. Mm-hmm. So that's like an intentional decision. That's why I really like that you shared about Elise. And yep. I had never thought of it that way before. Yeah. She didn't even remember it. I asked her afterwards. She didn't even remember it. I love that. Yeah. It was a sizable amount of money, if I remember, because the guy did not have the money for it. She's had it. And she's not rich. She's just intentional. She was, she was making sure there's edges. <laughs> you know? Final word, Michael. You got it. Pressure's on. Make it good. Make it good. Here it is. The first response would probably be praying for an attitude change. Amen. Amen. So we can reflect the heart of God. And then what Dale said earlier, Philippians 2. Yeah. Um, don't look to your interests only, mm-hmm. but the interests of others. Amen. So just tying what you said in Philippians 2 to this. Yeah. yeah. I, I love doing this by myself, but I love it way more doing it with others. Mm-hmm. Because we're a body and we're all different parts of the body. You're going to see something that others will see something you'll, you won't see. Even if you look at the passage a hundred times on your own. You just won't ever even think of that. There's some things that you guys have said. I've looked at this passage. I've done this before. And, and I never even considered it. I love that. Isn't that awesome? That the Lord will give us more of himself if we do these kind of things with others, other believers. And so I just welcome you. You don't have to do this, but one of the keys to actually have a flourishing life in the word is just to pick a time, pick, pick a place, pick a plan. Just do it. I guarantee you, you do this one. You don't have to do it. I guarantee you, though, if you do this one, you're going to meet with God and you're going to become more like his son. You're going to enjoy him more. And so I want that for you.